Amen. Amen. Welcome to Christ Church. You guys can grab a seat and get a, a copy of God's Word um, in front of you as we're going to be uh, teaching through um, the 21st chapter of Acts. We continue to move through this series. The sort of sub-series in this um, longer series in the book of Acts is Unstoppable, and uh, the mission always perseveres. And um, we see, whether it's through God's work or through the work of God's people, um, continually the mission persevering. And uh, one of the things we've seen as we've walked through the book of Acts is that um, uh, again and again there's themes that God is teaching His church as you walk through a different series that we might have. And uh, in this series, what we sense happening is that um, God is both uh, clarifying and focusing the attention of our church. And there is certainly out in the world a lot of raging and wrestling, a lot of fighting and struggling. But in here, there's been a theme that God has been teaching and leading us to again and again and again. And we find clarity right here in God's Word. So uh, just get to Acts 21, and I'm going to ask God's Spirit that wants to speak through His Word uh, to move now as we begin. Let me just pray for us. God, we're asking with our Bibles open and our hearts moving towards you in faith, that you would do a work in this message that I'm asking you to do. Because what I believe this um, word is leading us to is going to require your spirit to move and to convict. God, we're asking something that only you can do because we're asking you to convict this morning and to lead us in a direction that we cannot go in our own power. And so, God, meet us right now. Um, this is a supernatural opportunity to hear from your word. So, God, I'm just asking that you would lead us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, one of the things uh, you know about our culture is, is that we, uh, we hate to talk about death. Um, one article I read this week summed it up this way. The American attitude towards death in cultural terms is one of denial. Where many other cultures view death as a natural progression in the cycle of life among generations, the American culture prefers not to talk about death. It's so true, and um, this reality in our culture has a dangerous implications. Well, one of the implications is, is that we tend to um, not prepare for death or not even live under the reality that it's coming, so we don't prepare for it. Um, Oftentimes we rush through the process of grief and we try to move on too quickly. And oftentimes we just don't live with the end in mind. We just don't live with the end in mind. But the culture of the Bible is, is, is extraordinarily different than that. Now, people don't seem to try to deny the reality of death um, because death is everywhere. And grieving, uh, particularly in God's word, is encouraged in fullness over time. Death is even found everywhere in worship. Think about the Old Testament. Like, in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament law, the death of animals was required uh, to cover the sins of the people, to appease the wrath of God. So that means that death would have been right at the center of their worship. But you could say, oh, well, the New Testament's different, but the New Testament isn't different. Because in the New Testament, death remains at the center. And we know that in the gospel, the story of the Son of God dying on the cross to cover the sins of the people once and for all is at the very center of the redemptive story. The very center. 
death and, and the idea of death spiritually is required to even follow Jesus. It's fundamental to discipleship. Uh, Jesus bids us to come and die, die to self, die to sin, die to the world. Everywhere in the kingdom of God is this subject, death. All, I- I- any call to life in the gospel comes through death, comes through death. Following uh, the way of Jesus does not give us any space to deny death, but instead Jesus bids us to come and die. And this reality and an outworking of this reality is seen clearly in Acts 21. Follow along with me as I walk through the passage, and then I'm going to give us some kind of key encouragements to go home with today. Chapter 21, and when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed. So the Spirit was telling them, there's some danger for you in Jerusalem. So does Paul stay? No. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. I just love these pictures of like the realness of Paul's relationships with these people. Just picture this. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So, so now, Paul ends up in Caesarea, and think about this, because remember, all the way back in Acts chapter 6, when we talked about deacons, um, Philip was one of the deacons. He was one of the ones chosen. But apparently, um, in addition to a gift of service, Philip had a gift of evangelism because he becomes an evangelist, starts sharing the gospel all over the place, finds a woman, gets married in Caesarea. He settles down. He has four unmarried daughters, which explains to you now, now you understand why he welcomed Paul into his home. He's like, just some guy time. Please, you can stay as long as you want. I have my wife and four unmarried daughters. Please stay for longer if need be. And so, you know, Paul and Philip are hanging out together. And uh, then verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt. Now, I'm not sure where the taking of the belt happened, but... Can we just all agree this is kind of a funny moment? Like, anybody tries to come on the stage and take my belt, that's going to be a problem. I, I'm not going to be like, oh, sure, that makes so much sense that you want my belt. Okay, this is a little bit of a creepy moment, okay, from the prophet Agabus. So he comes up, he takes Paul's belt, and this didn't, if you, if you thought it wasn't weird enough, he bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. At that point, I would have been like, your belt, you can have it. You now own it. That would have been my move, but that's not what happens here. He, he's prophesying about what's going to happen to Paul. Verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
Again, God's people urging him, don't go. Play it safe. It's dangerous in Jerusalem for you. Don't risk it. Verse 13, the center piece verse of this passage. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Look at the emotion. He was torn over this. He was torn over this. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. We've shown our love. We've said, maybe you don't want to go. It's dangerous. He presses again and he strongly in verse 13. And they're just like, let the will of the Lord be done. Verse 15, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He's like, click, look what's happening in Ephesus. Click, look what's happening in Corinth. And look, and it says, and when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, they are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. So they're spreading a rumor that is a lie. But it puts Paul in a dangerous situation. So look what happens. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear what you have, that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So, so they're basically saying here that this is a, um, it's a Jewish purification rite. And they're saying go through with this ceremony along with some others that are in the church to show to everyone that you don't have disrespect for the law or for Moses. So try to quell the rumors. Try to diffuse the issue. So then look what it says. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. This is a reprise, a repeat of what we heard earlier in Acts when we made the point there that this move is to respect Jewish sensibilities. That we're not going to die on every hill and put some things in their face that are sensitive to their religious practice. 26, then Paul took them in and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. And at this point you're like, okay, well maybe, maybe, we, um, maybe, we, maybe we stop the problem. Maybe the rumor's going to spread and it's going to take care of the issue. So then 27, when the seven days were almost completed, so they're like, okay, we got seven good days. The Jews from Asia. At this point, if this was a movie, this would be where you would cue the um, dark foreboding music. Okay? Like you'd see the Jews from Asia, like outside of Jerusalem, walking in. 
And at that moment, you'd be like, are you serious? They will not stop coming after Paul. The Jews from Asia were the Jews from Ephesus, friends. Just over the past few weeks, we've talked about the riot that ensued. The same exact Jews are here. And at this point, you just go, "Uh uh-oh. Seeing him in the temple, here it comes, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. It was a lie. Again, another rumor being spread. Unjust. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, don't be clear of their intentions, word came to the tribune of the cohort, that's the Roman um, authorities, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul, the scared of the Romans. Then the tribune came and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, just like Agabus had prophesied. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. It's just a riot. And he could not learn the facts because of the uproar. He ordered him to be brought into the barracks, thankful for the sober-mindedness of the Roman government there. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. They were literally trying to rip him apart. So the soldiers have him under their arms, carrying him in to the barracks. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him and not away with him to the barracks. They wanted to kill him. And we're going to stop there this week. In vivid detail in this passage, we see Paul's a commitment to God's mission. And we see here that, that his participation hinges on verse 13 and his declaration there. He's ready to die. He's ready to die. It's, it's not an isolated expression. It's not a moment of something he said. It's not some idea about Jesus that he puts on the wall and it looks cute. This was a reality and a commitment that he had at the very core of who he was and it bleeds out all throughout his teaching and his life. He preaches it everywhere and he lives it out boldly, particularly here. The big idea this morning that we need to receive from this passage is this. Participating in God's mission always includes a call to die. Participating in God's mission always includes a call to die. Paul was ready to die. It was seen in his attitude throughout Acts. It's seen in this passage. It marks Paul's life and ministry. Participating in God's mission always includes a call to die. If we want to participate in God's mission, fundamentally, church, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it includes a call to die. There's no reality of discipleship that does not have some aspect of death as a part of it. And so what I want to show you and what I want to point out today is three ways Paul teaches us to respond to the call to die. The first one is this, a die to self. Die to self. How? How can Paul honestly say after two different warnings 
This isn't something that just like happened on him. There were clear warnings given. And his commitment to the mission to be in Jerusalem at the time he was, was so clear and so certain that he continued to march towards Jerusalem. How could he do this? Well, he had to die to self. It's a common message in Paul's writings, and I want to actually refer back to uh, a point I made in short form last week. Last week in Acts 20.24, if you want to look there quickly, Paul gives us the underlying mentality that led to his confidence in saying, I'm willing to be imprisoned or die for the name of Jesus. And in verse 24, it says, but I do not account my life of any value nor his precious to myself. There it is. Last week I pointed out, and I want to point out again, that the way that you get to the place where you're willing to die to self and live for God's mission is by refusing to mentally and emotionally prioritize yourself. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. First, mentally, he said, but did not account my life of any value. It's right there. It's accounting language. And if anything you want to know about accountants is everything is very clearly outlined and they make sure that every detail is correct. That's why they're the ones you want, balancing your budget. Because you get some other people that aren't, don't have that mindset. It's not going to get balanced. And so what he's saying here, he's saying, I do not account my life of any value. Here's the picture that kind of came in my mind of what this is like. There's a really fancy spreadsheet I made up, made up for church today. And so it's my life, all different aspects of my life, my preferences, my agendas, my goals, my dreams, my desires, my hopes, my feelings, the American dream. All of my things. When Paul says, I do not account them of any value, this is what he's doing. My preferences, hmm, let me think, zero. My agendas, my goals, my dreams, zero. My hopes, my feelings, zero. And it took all of my math skills to add that column up and to come up with the total, which is zero. How completely countercultural to our day, to any day. Die to self. Even emotionally, he says this. He says, I, I don't account my life as precious to myself. Precious is, is very clearly like an emotional language. Like when I walk by a lot of your like little children with their cute chubby cheeks and their like cute outfits you put them in on Sunday, I'm like, that's precious. And, uh, and sometimes I want to pinch their cheeks and then they start crying and it becomes a whole deal. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to work on that. And then they're just, they're just precious. But what Paul's saying is he's saying, I don't see my life as precious. I don't see it as precious. I don't give it value emotionally. My reputation is not precious. <clears throat> My life is not precious. And as a result, Paul's not one of these people like so common today who walk around so easily triggered because their security is in what people say, either positive or negative. Always living on the edge of their feelings being hurt. When you understand what the gospel says to you, you live in a place where your, your, your personhood and your identity is rooted in the declaration that I am a child of the king. I have been forgiven. I have been justified. I am being sanctified. And in every way, now and for eternity, I am secure. I'm secure. 
And so I'm not even living to make myself famous. Why would I do that? Because I'm also very much through the gospel acquainted with my own sin and weakness. And if I'm acquainted with my sin and weakness, guess what? You can't trigger me because the only person that triggered me is the one who could redeem me. And so now I'm in a place of stability. And now because of that, because of my death to self, I live in a place of security. If you want to encourage me, I will appreciate that unto Jesus Christ, the one who gave me my giftedness and my life and my stability. And if you want to criticize me, I will receive it. I will process through it. I will see that as potentially having um, a tremendous amount of grace to me. I will learn from that. And then I'm going to press on. I'm going to live under this identity. This is why it's so foundational to Paul's teaching, this idea of dying to self. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. This is not talking about in some way like I've taken my physical life. We're not talking about something like suicide, which is so opposed to God's word. This is talking about a I spiritually in my mental, emotional being, I don't live anymore. I'm not concerned about me. Look, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My only concern is Christ and his glory and his name. It's a faith move to live in crucified form. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, living to self is idolatry. It is idolatry. The flesh always desires other gods or to worship self. And, and you have to put it to death self because what self does if this is the is the pathway to me being in line with God's mission every time I give myself to my flesh I just start going like this every move slightly off a lot off and 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 the the Christian life is one where I I believe over time we just start we, we go but then we correct back through repentance and we stay aligned with this because we know there's blessing here And there's cursing here and consequences there. And so it's good to stay in line with that. But that's a difficult thing in our world today. I mean, let's be honest. The philosophy of relativism is ruling our day. It's ruling our day. It's whatever you feel is right. Whatever you determine is the highest authority, which is normally you. Whatever you believe is affirmed, whatever identity you choose, it's full of self-focus, self-worth, self-worship and ultimately it takes the throne that most appropriately and rightly should be god forbid anything but the king of kings and the lord of lords and it says excuse me i'm going to sit there and it's the religion of self you need to go to google to find out that the most popular religion of the day is the religion of self Uh, across the board it's not even close And so the question you have to ask into that, as you observe the culture, whether you're here and you've been walking with Christ for a while or maybe you've come to our church and you have this religious idea of what it means to follow Jesus, but you're coming here really wanting to learn what it looks like to follow Christ, or maybe you're somebody who is asking questions but has never given your life to Christ, ask the question. There's other options besides following Christ. There's other religions. Ask the question, is this leading to freedom and abundant life? 
Check it out. Check out the recent stats on suicide in our country or in the world. Read the stories that are coming out now about how social media is damaging young people, especially teenage girls. And the companies are hiding it. Shocking. They're not for us. They're not, they're, I thought they were for human flourishing. I thought that was the purpose, so we could just share our lives with one another. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure they got it. Listen to the angry and vi- anger and vitriol everywhere over every issue. Talk to anyone who works in, um, pray for them. Uh, talk to anybody who works in counseling or mental health. Six weeks or more to get an appointment on average is what I've heard. Do your own research instead of following blindly because self will lead you just like, I got it, I got it. This is what matters the most. This religion of idolatry, this religion of self that is idolatry is, it's opposed to the gospel and it is not leading to human flourishing, not at all. And that's why I just love the, love the church of Jesus Christ. I love the gospel. I love his word. Follow the way of Christ. Stop mentally and emotionally prioritizing self. Find yourself in a place where in the mission of God you are promoting both from your life and then to others the work of the gospel that brings stability and security and freedom and joy. The God who loves you enough to restore you and establish you and give you a purpose. Not a purpose to promote self. There's great freedom in laying that down but in taking up the mission that God gives you to proclaim Christ, die to self, Participating in God's mission always includes a call to die. Second, this. Die to safety and security. This message is just so in line with the way our world's going right now. Can't you guys see that? Die to safety and security. Paul, on his way to Jerusalem, he was tempted. He was tempted to stay safe. Like, 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 like see it clearly. It wasn't like everybody was just like, go to Jerusalem! And, and, and stick it to the Jews. Tell them the gospel, even if they reject you. No. Entire told not to go to Jerusalem. Here's the prophecy of Agabus. We and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Like, even Paul's response to their request in verse 13, remember, why, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. The... Paul, Paul felt the emotions of God's people. He wasn't like, I'm doing what I need to do. He wasn't emotionally cut off in any way. He was like, your emotions are causing me to struggle to, take the, to stay the course. So he's like, stop weeping and breaking my heart. I love you. But this is what I must do. And so he says, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die. He feels the emotions and the love for the people. His heart is torn between safety and security um, and, and of avoiding Jerusalem and the risk that's required to continue. Please see that. The people, I believe, have good intentions because Paul's life has been valuable to them, has been valuable to them. He's, they've been blessed by his ministry, but Paul is committed to dying to safety and security. Now, I also want to clarify here that, that what it's not saying is that there should be this sort of like recklessness in risk. Please don't, don't believe this gives you permission just to like, just to like, I'm going to do what I have the freedom to do even if I get fired. 
and lose the potential impact you have? Like, like, Paul went to Jerusalem, warned twice. He gets to Jerusalem. The elders are like, hey, let's just try to defuse the situation. Go participate in this Jewish purification, right? Let's try to quell it. And then if there's no other option, yes. Really important for us to hear. Too often I hear of people just obnoxiously with just unwise recklessness losing the gospel opportunity as opposed to what I believe the Bible teaches, which is obedient risk. He would listen to the counsel. Paul wasn't this autonomous guy who just did whatever he wanted. He listened to the counsel. He followed. He tried everything he could to show gentleness and respect to the, to the Jewish people that were so torn up by the gospel being preached. And he, but, but Paul didn't stop moving the mission forward because he died to safety and security. And so it's easy for us to read this passage, I think, and, and get to this place where we're like, well, like, that's, that's a situation that played out in, in this ancient world, but, but, but how does that apply to me today? What does that look like? I'm never going to be called to that. And certainly, not everybody in this room is going to be called to the same degree of risk. But when you decide, as a disciple, like you're called to, to participate in God's mission, to, to be committed to making disciples of all nations, to be committed to people making public proclamation of their faith in baptism, teaching people to follow what Jesus commands, it will cost you something, always. It will cost you something. You'll face resistance, maybe rejection and persecution, and that's a promise. It's a promise. It, it's funny how we love to emphasize the promises that are like, oh, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And we're like, oh, that's so encouraging. And there's this other promise that he says that if you'll follow me, you'll be persecuted. We don't love to quote that one as much. But God says in it, we'll be, it he'll be glorified. He actually says in it that we'll participate in Christ's sufferings, which means we'll know more of Christ's sacrifice. It is valuable. For any engagement in God's mission, be prepared to risk. Six things you risk to participate in God's mission. Look at this list. First, you, you risk loss. Loss of something. All of those me things. When I laid my life down by faith and I put my life before the Lord's, I knew there were some things that I put at risk that I could lose. Actually, at the point when I came to Christ, I had no clue the things that God would call me to lose. Loss, second. Second, failure. I risk failure. There should be some things that I go after that I chase and, and believe and put my faith in or push forward in that could fail. Rejection. Could be rejected by people for standing for Christ. Resources. Fourthly, I, I could sacrifice resources and have to experience and risk the loss of those. Pain. Pain is something I risk. And of course, just like, just like Paul, I can risk death. And if you don't think this is a real issue, in God's sovereign timing, I pulled open um, a news website this morning and found out that just this morning, some of you can check the reports out on all the news sources I checked, um, 17 missionaries were in Haiti 
and um, got captured by a Haitian gang on their way home, on their way to the airport in Port-au-Prince, and are currently being held captive. I found out after first service that um, the, the, one of the women is married to someone who actually lives north up in Osceola County and has, um, Oceana County, sorry, and, um, and has children with her that, are, that got captured. Not far, not far. Just there to share the gospel. And captured, and we don't know what's gonna happen. They for sure have lost some things already. And uh, we need to be praying, we need to be praying that they would have a safe return, certainly, but we don't know what God has for them. But they, they fulfilled their mission and they risked because of the value of the gospel. And so it's not far from us. And we are not called to safety and security. We're called to participate in God's mission and that means coming up against the current of the world. It means that, that we're gonna work against the work of the enemy. The mission uh, as I've already illustrated in so many different ways, is totally countercultural. It's going to be rejected in some places, in some ways. The gate is narrow and the way is hard. Jesus says it clearly. He warns us and he prepares us for it and it requires risk. We, what we have to, we have to get the good news of the gospel to the world. And so we have to participate in God's mission. We're not gonna hold back in any way. It requires risk, all of it, making disciples, um, I'm teaching them to obey what Jesus has commanded. I mean, uh, Dylan already gave um, appropriate um, uh, honor to uh, the women who led yesterday in our church. And to, to pull off a, a women's conference for our church, led completely and totally by the women of our church, was an undertaking. All week, I saw women experiencing the loss of time at home or whatever else they wanted to do with their life to be here preparing for that. Um, a conference, um, the teachers, even some in my own home who were preparing at some very weird hours because they just so wanted to serve the women well. And I'm so thankful for that sacrifice and I think we need once again just to thank them for that. So let's just thank them. It requires risk. There was a loss associated with that. They could have been rejected. There was a part of it that took time an effort. Listen, we have safety and security promised in eternity. Promised. No question, settled for eternity. In this life, God's mission calls us to die to safety and security. Participating in God's mission always includes a call to die. Finally this, die for the name of Jesus. Die for the name of Jesus. When Paul declares his willingness to die so clearly in verse 13, Please notice how that ends. I am ready, not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem. For, for, that word means I'm about to give you the reason why. I'm about to give you the rationale. I'm about to give you, I'm willing to be imprisoned and die for something, but it's something very specific. And then he says, for the name of the Lord Jesus. He's not willing to die for his own reputation. He's not willing to experience loss to make himself famous. When Paul got to Jerusalem and the Jews rejected and attacked him, they did so not because of his good behavior. They were like, look at that guy. He just thinks he's better than us. His good behavior. It wasn't for his religiosity, not for his strong work ethic, 
He didn't face what he faced because of his vaccine position. He didn't face what he faced because of what he thought about Trump or Biden, not for his thoughts on critical race theory. They'd attacked him because he promoted the name of the Lord Jesus. It's the name. It's the name. Paul was unapologetically focused on the name of Jesus being proclaimed. All aspects of his name, all parts of the glory of his name, all the realities of what had been accomplished through that name. What fascinates me about Paul is the fact that he keeps beating the same drum again and again and again throughout his life. It's the name of Jesus. And you can hear it. It gives the rhythm and the beat to every step of his life. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And, and it sits there and it, and it hangs underneath all that he does. He, he'll talk about other things, but he always seems to come back to one beat. Jesus, the name of Jesus. Again and again and again. He says everything you need, everything you want, everything you were designed and called to do and be is about making famous this one name, the name of Jesus. In God's mission, we cannot sing the song of the gospel to the world without the steady drumbeat resounding underneath our life and our mission. The name of Jesus. Proclaim the name to people. Proclaim the name. Speak it. It's the name that turns people to reject or turns people to have interest and want to receive. It's the name of Jesus. Tell them, I believe what I do because of what Jesus Christ did. I think what I think because Jesus is my Lord. I do what I do because I'm following him. I love you better because Jesus loved me first. I speak the gospel to you because there's no better news than the news of Jesus Christ. I, I don't just follow the rules of average Christian morality. I proclaim the name of Jesus and I'm willing to be imprisoned and die for that. I'm not willing to be imprisoned or die for some artificial, I've been doing this since I was little, Christian morality. I will not be imprisoned and I will not die, not so that we can uh, build the right places and, and, and contain a bunch of people who just want to like be encouraged by one another and not see that their greatest purpose is in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we have to live with this tension and we have to wrestle with it. I want to proclaim the name of Jesus, all of it through him, all of it for him. I want my commitment to be so clear, so deep, so abiding, so good, so real that everyone would know that I will die for that name. I will die for that name. You could call me to do so many different things. I'll even be sensitive to a lot of them. But you call me to be quiet about that name and I will not follow. It's the name of Jesus. Die for the name of Jesus. Participating in God's mission always includes a call to die. Now, here's this, as I conclude. Here's the thing that I believe Paul is showing us in his willingness to die. You cannot stop the person willing to die. You can't stop them. It's complete and total freedom. 
when you've declared at the core of your being, I'm willing to die for that. No opposition can stop the person ready to die. And nothing can stop the person who says, like Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul taught, the church, taught that to the church in Philippi and he embodied it here in, in Acts 21. The call to die is not a part of discipleship, it is the constant call. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lost his life under the tyranny of Nazi Germany, because of his commitment, while the church was oftentimes accommodating, he stood up for Jesus and for discipleship. For a long time, trying to be incredibly sensitive and smart and wise how he navigated in and around the, the government that was becoming insanely oppressive beyond what many people said was healthy, he got to this place and and he stood and he died for the name of Jesus and his commitment to what Jesus taught on discipleship. And here's what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote this. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world, death to self. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. Participating in God's mission always includes a call to die. Die to self, die to safety and security, die for the name of Jesus. And right now, what I'm asking, just like I've been asking all week, that God's Spirit would bring us to a, a moment, and so you can get your uh, card out that you came in with this morning, and um, I'm trusting the Spirit of God this morning to lead us to death before we leave here today. Spiritual death of something There's something in your life that that needs to die, that needs to come down, that needs to be repented of, that needs to be refused, that we need to say no to, that's standing in the way of our participation in God's mission. And this is where the Spirit of God has to do this. In your life, you know what it is. I trust God's Spirit to convict you of that in this moment uh, so that God's uh, uh, mission could be accomplished in your life. There's something that needs to die. Maybe it's a sin that needs to be put to death. Maybe it's an emotion that you felt that is is crippling your life. Fear or shame or despair. Maybe there's a selfish pursuit that you've been chasing after that is without question distracting you. Distracting you from God's mission. Maybe this morning it's it's a dream or a goal that you've kind of given your life to and, and, and instead of seeking first the kingdom of God, you're seeking that. It needs to be offered to the Lord and it needs to die this morning. Remember in the gospel there's a pattern. Death leads to life. Death leads to life. Wherever there's resurrection life, there has been death. And so I want to encourage you to respond this morning. What's the Holy Spirit calling you to put to death? And and whatever it is, I want you to write it down. 
Whatever summary is sufficient to reflect your heart on this and your willingness, this is a faith move. As you write these, whatever you're writing down, I want it to be a declaration. Lord, I want you to begin to pray, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Maybe you're here again with something that you put to death and now seems to be back and you're holding it again and you're looking at it and you're going, this has got to, I got to put this to death. And as we sing this next song over you, I want you to write it down and then I want you to walk forward and I want you to lay it out anywhere in the front of this room. Maybe some of you need to, need to kneel and pray for a few moments and say, God, I'm leaving it here. I'm putting it to death. Maybe some of you are going to walk forward for the first time and say, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm laying my whole life down. And you're going to leave it here as a declaration and a confidence in the God that can empower you to do that, can empower the change he wants to bring. And then just walk back to your chair after that. And I want to give you this time to respond. Participating in God's mission always includes a call to die. And so let's respond this morning as the band sings over us. Let's respond. Some things are going to die today. Let's be faithful in that. Let's do that now as they sing over you.